A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Get in the long tunes with a bunch of demons. You believe that human beings are demons? No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. There's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but... God is in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. <laughs> Really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are gods by faith in his son. <laughs> Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. <laughs> Right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name, get out here right now. So put your trust in the sovereign risen king, who doesn't owe you one cotton picking thing. And yet he still promises to furnish his disciples, but we take what he's created and we turn him into idols. I'll never back down, so how can I keep it in? But you'll never see me preaching the sin of TBM. Subduing this chemistry, but, but some are spewing distorted views of the Trinity. The with the enemy there, lies have been bought. Whether you like it or not, you will tie get shot. No weapons from these reverends, only pathetic benevolence. Who claims to heal without a shred of medical evidence? They in the public side, lukewarmer than kitchens. On live television, saying warnings are Christians. I'm not throwing stones, I'm simply shouting the truth. So if you never knew. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to The Master's Dog, episode 35. I am your host, The Evangelical Norm. The Master's Dog is my podcast where when God's word is attacked, just like the, uh, the Calvin quote from the beginning, like a master's dog that will bark when his master is attacked, when the God's truth, God's word, um, God's doctrine uh, is attacked, I bark and I make noise and I uh, respond to it. So this was all born out of the uh, three Mormons, now Saints Unscripted, uh, started a episode called Faith and Beliefs. And I they started with the Mormon Articles of Faith and I said for every one of those episodes they do, I was going to respond. And I have to every one of those. And then we expanded. We, I keep saying, I don't have a mouse in my pocket. I really don't. We is me. <laughs> and so I expanded to uh, dealing with all kinds of attacks on, on God's truth. So last week I, I talked a little bit about Jory Micah and who she was. We've talked a little bit of the Beth Moore uh, controversy, Paula White, stuff like that. So anytime you get a false teacher that 
uh, goes viral or becomes you know somewhat in the public eye I like to respond to it here and so that's what we're gonna do we are getting back to our basics our, our roots um, of this podcast and today we are looking at the newest episode from Saints Unscripted Faith and Beliefs the last few have been kind of eh, you know they talked a lot about the success uh, the possible successors of Joseph Smith after he died and the offshoots of the church that were started from that and so today he's going to talk uh, David's going to go through a little bit of not he doesn't really get into the Freemason stuff but he's dealing with Freemasonry and the similarities between the temple endowment ceremony and uh, the Mason ceremony so we are going to uh, jump in and got a light in the way gotta take the mute off and now we will let David talk and then we'll talk hey guys welcome back to another episode today we're gonna talk about the relationship between the Latter-day Saint Temple Endowment and Freemasonry we've got no time to waste let's jump right in we have plenty of time to waste but okay so whether you've been through the temple or not, you may have heard that there are some similarities between our temple endowment and certain Masonic ceremonies. The danger of focusing on these similarities is that the vast differences get overlooked. The washing and anointing part of the endowment, which we've done an episode on. Okay. So this is, this is the most ridiculous argument that you can make. I mean, we're not even a minute into this thing and... and the argument is already dead. Um, when you're dealing with things like plagiarism, they've done this the same thing with talking about plagiarism in the Book of Mormon and so on. When dealing with plagiarism, a college teacher, when a student turns in a report that's been plagiarized, does not go, oh, well, you know, there's so much of this that is uh, uncredited work of other people but there's so many vast differences that we're just going to ignore it. That's ridiculous. The in reality is the, the ceremony, I mean, washing and anointings and stuff like that, but the endowment ceremony themselves, the, uh, the signs and tokens and all those things are exact. The, the, you know, the, the sure sign of the nail and things like that are taken specifically out of Freemasonry. And so it's not that they're just similarities. It's literally plagiarized. It is uh, taken completely. And so no amount of differences makes a difference when there's so many exact uh, similarities has nothing to do with masonry the purpose of the endowment and the meaning of the covenants we make have nothing to do with masonry and would people talk about religion here in a meeting absolutely not similarities are limited to some symbols actions and wording joseph smith became a master mason in march 1842 and then administered the first endowment a few weeks later in may 1842 in one way or another freemasonry absolutely influenced joseph as he put together the endowment that certainly is true some people think that means our temple rituals are just ripped off of masonry and that joseph was a fraud that is certainly not true don't you have other things to do this afternoon my dear nephew but the link between the two traditions was no secret to the early saints the first nine 
Okay, so no secret to the early saints, but it was hidden completely from, I don't know, 1900s on. So, yeah, most of these men were Masons, and so they knew. They knew whether they were in on the ruse, whether, whatever. Yeah, they knew. They knew the the very uh, vast similarities, the the uh, things that were were taken. But when, um, you know, at some point in time, it became a it became a very hidden thing, because when people started talking about it, the argument wasn't, oh well, yeah, Joseph was influenced by this. It was to try to shut it down, the for the longest period of time. The, the argument against people who would talk about this was, oh, no, you can't talk about this because it's sacred and this and that. But it was never this embraced. So for now that, again, with the advent of the uh, Internet and um, the amount of information that can be handled and be, be uh, retrieved and found and so on. I'll figure out a word that I'm looking for sooner or later. But the the amount of information that is available for people in the Mormon church, now they have to. They have to embrace it in some way, shape, or form. Or they have to admit that it's all a fraud. So, well, of course, that's not going to happen. So now we have to get to the point where we make stupid arguments like, well, what about all the differences? And so on. And oh, it wasn't a secret to the early saints. At some point in time, it became a secret. And this is where the problem lies. Because at some point in time, the leadership of the LDS Church began lying to the general populace of the Mormon Church. And let that lie continue on for years upon years upon decades upon decades. Until the internet comes about. And now it's something that they cannot hide anymore. So unless you've been involved in, in ministry to Mormons for a long time, you know, you are coming up into a, a situation where now they're, they're openly embracing this stuff, which was not the case 15 years ago. You know, and for those who have been in Mormonism for a long time and have come out and they hear this, they'll go, well, no, it was, it was very much a secret to us. The general membership of the the church, the leaders may have known, and and at some point in time, as you notice, when I was growing up, there were no Masons, there or if there were, there were very few Masons that were in the Mormon Church, and so, it, I don't know if it was something that was frowned upon or you know become uh, prohibited or what, but when I was in. So, of course, the fact that, that with there being very few Masons in Mormonism, there's not going to be, they're not going to be found out. But I'm sure the few that were went in and went, hey, this looks awful familiar, and then may have asked questions and so on. But still, the fact of the matter is, whether it was a secret to the early members of the church or not, it became a secret later on in the church people to ever receive the endowment were all Masons and none of them had problems with the similarities. But there are several different ways modern Latter-day Saints understand why these similarities exist. The church's website talks about two of those perspectives. The first is this, 
Some Latter-day Saints point to similarities between the format and symbols of the endowment and Masonic rituals and those of many ancient religious ceremonies as evidence that the endowment was a restoration of an ancient ordinance. In other words, there are similarities because both traditions are based on ancient Christian practices. But how can that be true when scholars only date Masonry back to the Middle Ages? They formed a new brotherhood called the Freemasons in honor of the builders of the Great Temple. Despite when the organization began, as Robert Cooper said, the majority of Freemason symbolism and iconography was adopted from Christianity. For example, Reverend Neville Cryer concluded that Masonic signs originated with the set of gestures utilized by a few of the Orthodox monastic orders. He felt that the catechetical instruction of Masonry was rooted in the method of monastic or monastery worship. So it's entirely plausible that Joseph was right when he said that Masonry was the apostate endowments as sectarian religion was the apostate religion. During the apostasy, we believe many aspects of priesthood and temple ordinances were fumbled and scattered across many faiths and traditions. The second So this argument that they're both based off of uh, similar uh, endowments or w similar Christian, you can't show me anywhere biblically where I any of these exist. The Mormon endowment or the Mason uh ceremony and anything that came after that's not biblical is tradition of man and and again i mean i've never been catholic or anything like that so i don't know how much of this is is similar i know that that supposedly the washing and, and or anointings and washings come somehow out of catholicism or something like that but there's only like very few mentions and sporadic and the arguments that have been made by kwaku and david in the past uh, show that they're they're piecing together things from different writers and so on and bringing them together and and again it's a, a deceptive uh, mashing of things in order to make you think that these things actually came out of Christianity none of this is biblical the the LDS temple endowments the Masonic initiatory rituals or whatever none of it is biblical that is our standard. If it ain't in the Bible, we don't abide by it. An interpretation the church outlines is this. Others note that the ideas and institutions in the culture that surrounded Joseph Smith frequently contributed to the process by which he obtained revelation. For example, God utilizes your culture and environment to reveal things to you in ways you'll understand. And because people in Joseph's day were very familiar with masonry, aspects of it were utilized to more effectively present and ritualize the endowment. Scholar Ben Spackman wrote, aspects of revelation will strongly reflect their environment and are a necessary part of that revelation, not a detriment to its revelatory quality. Environmental similarities may or may not indicate borrowing or remixing, but they don't automatically preclude revelation. Okay, now here's another problem. To say that God is giving revelation and he's using these cultural things to enhance or whatever, that doesn't make any sense. If this was something that was uh, done back in you know, the early church or Old Testament times or any of those things, then it should not change. God does not change. And so to say these things were, it, it, it's, a, it's a failed argument. 
I don't even know how to explain it to say that that these things have been restored from antiquity, but yet God is now going to mix in things from not antiquity into it to make it a little bit more familiar. No, this were, these were things that were supposed to be everlasting covenants that were supposed to be unchanging, and, and then they changed. And so it, it's a ridiculous statement to make to say that... Um, God uses these the the in, infused cult eighteenth uh, or seventeenth century cultural norms into something that was being restored from antiquity. Well, if that's the case, then it wasn't restored from antiquity. It was recreated for seventeenth century. And so, and as far as I can tell, biblically, that's not how God works with His prophets. For example, you already know that the law of circumcision was given to Abraham as a sign or token of the Abrahamic covenant. So? So? So, what you might not know is that Abraham was not the first person to practice circumcision. It already existed, for example, in Egypt. It's probably not a coincidence that circumcision was implemented after Abraham's visit to Egypt. Coincidence? I think not! God takes something familiar to Abraham and adapts it for another purpose. And that's absolutely fine. He did the same thing with the rainbow after the flood. It's repurposed as a token of a covenant between him and Noah. Okay, now here we have a problem because we have no record of the, the rainbow being used as anything. God set his bow in the sky. This apparently was the first time that the rainbow was there that God had put the rainbow there. And so it's it intentionally God, the rainbow was not repurposed. The rainbow's specific purpose and, and creation by God was put there as the token. So no, the rainbow wasn't re repurposed by God. The rainbow was given by God as the token. And the whole issue with circumcision, Abraham visited Egypt briefly. I doubt he... Uh, became that familiar with circumcision. I, I just, to, to, to equate the two is ridiculous. Now, was circumcision practiced? Sure. You know, apparently we have some, you know, one specific hieroglyph that I've seen recreated many different times. And so, but we don't know how uh, widespread it was in Egypt. We we know very little about how circumcision was used in Egypt. Um, and so we don't know if it was a widespread thing or not. So I don't know that this would some, be something that became familiar to Abraham. Now, maybe if it had been, if circumcision had been given after Moses and 400 years of captivity in Egypt, it might have become something that would be more familiar and potentially even something depending on who and how circumcision was implemented, which we don't know. Um, maybe it was something it would have been something familiar to Moses, but I doubt it becomes was something that familiar to Abraham. And then again, God gave Abraham and, and there's so many cool things about the fact that it's on the eighth day and stuff like that, that I won't get into. Um, 
medical and scientific things that show that God knew specifically what he was doing by doing it on the eighth day. But to say that God used Egyptian norms, that would that would be ridiculous to think that God would would come and infuse the things of, of Egypt that was uh, symbolic of, of the enemy through the majority of, of early Jewish and Hebrew history. God would not institute or infuse something from the enemy into the ritual, which he did. It wasn't because it was familiar to Egypt. So this is, excuse me, an absolutely ridiculous argument. In the words of Spackman, Jesus transformed water into wine. He didn't produce it ex nihilo or out of nothing. So in review, why are there similarities between masonry and our temple endowment? Well, it could be that some elements of masonry are based on ancient temple practices that God inspired Joseph to. No, there's no indication of anything similar to masonry, <coughs> excuse me, or Masonic ritual being used in the temple anywhere. You can't show me anything biblical that, that makes that happen or that that, that did happen. To include, it may also be that God took some elements of masonry and repurposed them for the endowment. And that would make no sense either, because if this was something again that was restored from antiquity, why would He repurpose Masonic stuff for something that should have been already in existence beforehand? And had it been restored from antiquity, I'll learn to talk, which Joseph claimed then Masonic elements shouldn't have been in there anywhere. And there are many people who think it's a mixture of all of those possibilities. Why not take both? <gasps> what a wild idea! I think both traditions reflect elements of ancient Christianity, and I also think that Freemasonry helped Joseph give presentational and ritual scaffolding to the promises we made. Okay, now here again, if you're saying this came out of the temple which would be Old Testament, it would not resemble ancient Christianity. It would resemble ancient Judaism or ancient Hebrewism, not Christianity. What was happening in the temple was not Christianity. Christianity ended the things that were happening in the temple. Jesus became the sacrifice once for all. So there was no longer a need for sacrifice in the temple. There was no longer a need for a temple period. Because Jesus, as he made it clear, we became the temple of the Holy Spirit. We became the temple. And so there was no longer a need. So that, that statement in and of itself shows the ignorance of what he's saying. He's just, he's fabricating something to make you believe. When in reality, Joseph just simply took and stole the things that he had learned from masonry and fabricated it into an endowment ceremony, which he needed for his temple. That's the answer. That's what happened. None of this stuff of ancient, it wouldn't, it doesn't resemble anything close to ancient Christianity because the temple was pre-Christianity and Christianity put an end to the need for sacrifice and rituals in the temple. Make in the temple. Speaking of the temple, there are also lots of questions about why temple ceremonies 
have changed over the years. I'm gonna do a separate episode all about that, so we'll hold those questions until then. In the meantime, we've barely been able to scratch the surface of this topic. Check out the resources in the description if you want to dive deeper, and have a great day. All right, so there we go. Um, yeah. So, and, and like he said, when he does the next episodes on why they change, again, if this is something restored from antiquity and God doesn't change, there should have been no changes. And I mean, and that, and, and in reality, when you look at it, we'll get into it when we talk about that. I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but all the changes fall in line with political pressures from the culture at large. When did God ever change anything according to the culture at large, rather than say, I am God and I don't change. And you, the culture needs to adhere to what he has laid out. So again, there you have the, the issue of Masons. And, and, and those are very, very poor arguments that David gives. Um, I hope that you can see through that. And I helped a little bit. I know I just, I tend to get a little irritated by stuff like that. But um, hopefully it helped. And uh, you can take that and use it to whatever purpose you can. Um, as far if you're Mormon, I hope. I hope that you will look at this and recognize the um, the fraudulent nature of of the endowments and the temple ceremony and all of the doctrines of Mormonism. And if you're a Christian, please use this as not as a battering ram uh, to beat your your neighbor your LDS neighbor over the head with just to show them how right you are and how wrong they are. Ask God, pray that God will help you to. Um, take this and mix it with some wisdom, some zeal, some love, and use it as a way to uh, share the gospel with your Mormon friend and let God and the Holy Spirit draw them out of the false religion of Mormonism into a saving relationship through to himself. And as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.